When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Our job as coaches is to help the team to create enough chances, Ralph Rannick says. The number of clear chances we had today had to be enough to win a game like this. Well, he's right and copy and paste it. Manchester United dominate yet another game and yet again come away without a victory. United are fourth in the Premier League, but with several more games played than top four rivals Arsenal and Tottenham, we're nothing but a placeholder for now. An all too familiar tale is developing week on week for Rannick's United. Create chances galore, but miss the barn door. Over in Madrid, it was an entirely different prospect, to be fair. A 1-1 draw was a fantastic result given the level of performance, particularly the first half performance. And Anthony Alanga really made his mark at the Wanda Metropolitano in front of three and a half thousand Reds up in the gods in the away end, having a great time. And then now, well, comes Manchester City. Uh, a chastening defeat came at Old Trafford back in November, led to the sacking of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer eventually. What will happen this time? Well, we're looking at City's seven defeats this season for lessons as to how to beat Pep Guardiola's league-leading team. Welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast to Series 7, Episode 26 with me, Harry Robinson, and Jack Tate alongside me, as always. Thank you to our patrons for their support in helping this podcast happen. Um, let's get started, Jack, with the Watford game. A fifth draw for United in seven games. The simple truth of it is, another 5-0 performance, but we've drawn or lost the game, which is what is happening again and again. Yeah, a few weeks ago, we had an episode that was named Jekyll and Hyde, and this week was a pretty perfect summation of a Jekyll and Hyde week for United, because we come away from our midweek clash with Atletico Madrid having played really quite terribly and thrilled to come away with the draw what is a decent result after a very very bad performance and then we've gone home to Old Trafford in the Premier League and put in one of our best performances certainly the first sort of 50 60 minutes of the season and come away with a massively disappointing nil nil that we somehow managed to to not win i mean yeah. the Watford game it's just so it's so disappointing it, it and it's the themes that have been recurring now for quite a few weeks. And to be honest, I find it hard to critique Ralph Ranić for for any of it. The, the the Atletico Madrid game is a different story, but Watford, I thought we were set up perfectly. We carved through Watford with absolute ease for the entire game. 
you know, pretty much at will from any part of the pitch, created so many chances, so many big chances to score and just for whatever reason, couldn't find the back of the net. I mean, despite the fact that we dominated the game, created so many big chances, we only had three shots on target. Yeah. You know, sometimes results like this happen where you come up against just an inspired goalkeeper or and you get some bad luck, defenders are making blocks left, right and centre and the ball just doesn't, it just won't go in. And you have days yeah. like that. This wasn't one of those days. Oh, no. This was completely of our own making. Well, you know, we, we just all, did not put the ball in the net. Yeah, we all remember kind of those inspired performances, whether it's Tom Heaton at Burnley or uh, Ben Foster has had them. Tim very Krul. often for Newcastle. Yeah, there's, there's a whole string of keepers who are, their best performances of their career have been at Old Trafford in, in games where they've got results. But the sad thing was, I think I've very rarely seen, at least in recent years, a side even in recent years, in fact, given how many teams have come away from Old Trafford with a result, whether it's a, a point or three, I've rarely seen a team do so little to get a result at United. Watford weren't good. We played through them so easily. They just stood there. It was so easy to create chances. This wasn't kind of a brilliant defensive performance. Uh, as you say, not a great goalkeeping performance from Foster because it didn't have to be. I hardly remember an out-of-the-ordinary save. No, I think. The Fernandez one on one. That was about it. Right. Yeah. It, it wasn't difficult to create chances, and yet, as you say, and in fact, the difference between this and the uh, and possibly the Southampton game or the Middlesbrough game or uh, the Brighton game is there were poor finishing in all of those, but this was the one where we just couldn't hit the target at all, let alone hit the target for, for the key chances. 22 shots on goal, three big chances, statistically big chances missed. We hit the post, we scored an offside goal, we missed other good chances. There were penalty shouts. It was just poor execution of, of chances. As you say, Rannick is completely blameless in this for now. He obviously has to find a way to sort the finishing out. But And this isn't even a matter of kind of effort or, or desire. It's just the finishing is is so off from everyone in the team. In some ways, the results like this are sometimes even more disappointing than the, the actual bad performances that we've put in, you know, like against Atletico Madrid or like the first half against Brighton a few weeks ago, because yeah. you just left scratching your head at A, how this happened and B, what do you do about it? You know, I'm not, I'm not being funny, but the, the, the people who are getting these chances for United aren't squad players. They aren't our centre-backs yeah. or central midfielders. It's, I mean, it's Cristiano Ronaldo, let's, let's have it exactly. right. It's, it's Cristiano Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandes, you know, Jaden Sancho, whoever it might be. Like these are, in, in, at least in terms of their finishing, world-class players that should be able to finish these chances with no worries at all. Yeah. I just looked on FOTMOB. Bruno Fernandes alone had over one XG <laughs> as a single player. It's just like, it's just baffling how we weren't able to actually score. And like I said, this wasn't, I don't even think there was bad luck involved in this really either. You know, this... This wasn't like we just kept getting the bad break of the ball or we kept hitting the post or, you know, blocks were flying in. Like it was just poor finishing. And to be honest, there wasn't a huge pattern to it either. I wouldn't say our players were being greedy. There was that one with the, where Fernandez forced a save from Foster. Maybe he could have squared it to Ronaldo. Although to be fair, watching it in real time, I didn't even notice that Ronaldo was there. It was only after yeah. the fact. So, you know, I don't think it was a massively obvious one to square. I don't think players were being too greedy. They took shots when they needed to. It was just poor execution. I think that's what's different as well. I, I mean, I guess it's a, a positive. It's hard to find, re, it's hard to kind of define it as a positive in these times. But the positive is we're now seeing the United team create chances kind of in the right way, the, the way that we want them to. 
Um, I, a lot of that, I think, is down to Jaden Sancho, whose decision making is a, a a level above the rest of the team in terms of that. When when the opportunity isn't there for him to get through the defense, either with the pass or by taking his man on, he doesn't rush it. He he comes back and keeps the pressure up, and that's why I think we've we've seen this a lot more recently when Sancho's been starting. We've seen us really put teams under pressure. Um, obviously, he was dropped from or rested from the start of this, but he did it when he came on. But even even the rest of the team, I think Alanga showed it in parts. I think I mean even Bruno had a couple of his typical kind of frustrated long shots, and but even he was better at it this time. This wasn't a problem of the type of chances we we were creating. It, it really was just poor execution. Um, and I mean, just to em- emphasize that point, Tottenham beat Leeds 4-0 and had a lesser XG than we did. <laughs> I mean, anytime you create over two XG in a game, you'd expect to to win. You know, that is... It is by, by a lot as well. Yeah, by a lot. You know, I know... The, two the games XG, where you, you win know, you, 4 or 5-0 are the ones where you create that because obviously XG underrates goals a little bit yeah exactly obviously and the whole point of paying you know massive amounts of money in transfer fees and wages to players is that you you buy players who are going to yeah. outperform their XG because they're good players and they can finish you know they I think what what was it in the end it was like 2.8 XG I think across the 90 minutes which is huge and that doesn't even I don't yes. think include the offside goal right because it only counts shots that actually count don't think so yeah so I mean then that was basically yeah. tapping so that's probably another at least 0. 0.5 0. 0.6 to add to that as well you know, it's just, it's it's baffling. I thought, annoyingly, obviously the, the result is annoying in itself, but doubly annoying to this is that, actually, I, to your point, Harry, I think this was one of the most encouraging performances I've seen from United in terms of creating chances, not through just one player doing something amazing. You know, it felt like, yeah. albeit Watford, like you said, were there to be carved open. They were so, so easy to, to play through. And but, just you know, to, the, the best example of that was the Alanga chance where he drove in and then Popper did the back kill. Yes, those are moments of individual brilliance, but it was a, it was several in, in succession. That wasn't just one person taking someone on. That really nice move and it, it, it really deserved the goal. Yeah. At the end of it. And uh, and the other one as well was the offside goal. I thought was brilliant as well. Elanga drives inside. Ronaldo shows for the ball short. When Elanga doesn't give it to him, he then spins in behind when it goes wide to Tellers. You know, that that's exactly the kind of moves that we want. And we are starting to see it, but it's just that we can't sort of enjoy it because we aren't actually putting the physical yeah. touches on them. I thought Elanga, for me, had his best game in a United shirt in terms of his, his general output. I thought he was very, very good. Yeah, He was... He was so much tidier on the ball, which was probably partly because of the amount of space he was being given. But I thought he was very, very good. You know, these, these are positive signs that we should be sitting here, you know, praising Ranić for, for how he's managing to, to make some improvements to this team. And yet we have to just sit here and berate the fact that we can't finish. Yeah, the fifth worst conversion rate in the Premier League this season behind Brighton, which is blatantly obvious to anyone who's watched them. Yeah. Uh, Wolves. Wolves are a little surprising, mainly. Uh, and Burnley and Norwich, less surprising. God, I wonder what um, would happen if we hired Graham Potter. We'd never score a goal again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, there's plenty more stats to outline just how bad our finishing is, but let's focus in on Ronaldo. He is missing too many. 14 goals in his first 20 games, one in the past 10 games. And he's had 36 shots in those games. And and I'm a little torn on this because I think the, the general feeling around United fans is 
is that he is kind of hindering the team at the moment, both in the way that he affects how we can play and also the fact that he's not scoring. If you're going to, if you're going to have Cristiano Ronaldo in your team, then he has to do his job, which is score goals in, in bucket loads. He's not doing that. 14 in 20. Yeah, we, we can do that. That, that works for us. One in 10 certainly doesn't. And yet on the other hand, he's only inches away. He is hitting the post. He is being just offside. He is drawing good saves. And so you think these fine margins, and look, we obviously want to get rid of those fine margins and and ultimately, given how many chances we're creating, we shouldn't have to rely on fine margins. But I think he's, I, I can't decide whether he's just a couple of inches away from suddenly finding his goal scoring form again. Yeah, I have a really hard time sort of deciding where I come down on Ronaldo at the moment moment because in the in the immediate aftermath of the game I was like he has to be dropped you know he's not playing well enough yeah. if he isn't and this is this has been true of Ronaldo for quite a few years now if he isn't contributing goals to the team he isn't doing much of anything because he is very much a, a sort of poacher of a striker at this point you know his general play hasn't mm-hmm. been great for for quite a few years now so part of me thinks well he hasn't scored you know like you said one goal in 10 games get him out of the team but well, two things are sort of putting me off that. One is the fact that with Cavani injured, we have pretty much no replacement for yeah. Ronaldo unless we maybe push Bruno to a false nine or maybe played Rashford up front. But second, and sort of more to the point, is that it, it's not as if Ronaldo isn't making the chances. And he's not always making them for himself, but his movement and stuff is still excellent. And you would expect yeah. that he will eventually start putting some of these chances uh, chances away. It's just how long can you continue to put him in the team when clearly, for whatever reason, whether it's confidence, whether it's just bad luck, it just isn't going well for him at the moment. Well, what's and- what's strange as well is is yeah, the confidence and the the attitude he he seems to have towards games. I'm not saying it's a, a bad attitude deliberately from his part, but you can tell how frustrated he is, especially I think yeah. watching from the stands every time when the TV's kind of cutting away to a replay Ronaldo's kicking posts after every chance and, and holding his head in his hands there was a moment where Fernandez kind of came over to Ronaldo was just still standing next to the post a couple of seconds after missing and, and Fernandez dragged him back onto the pitch and made him run back and and he's geeing up the fans which he never used to do he never kind of part of the frustration in the first half of the season for United fans was Ronaldo just didn't seem to care ab- about the supporters he wouldn't clap supporters at the end of away games he wouldn't even do it as he was walking off at the end of home games um, and now you're seeing completely different you're seeing him in in the middle of games turn to Stretford end and gesture to get people going afterwards you're seeing them him clapping them it, it's clear he's it's clear there's a kind of attitude and mentality change and that he's struggling with his confidence and it's it's incredible for for him as a for him Ronaldo yeah, it's, it's it's kind of jarring to be honest because this is a player who I think has always been so good at sort of internally making everything work. Yeah, you know he's ne- he hadn't ever struck me as a player that needs any sort of encouragement or motivation from outside, exactly, and yeah. it's, it feels like he's sort of searching for that at the moment. And obviously, we're speculating there, but just the way that he is just much more vividly and outwardly emotional, I guess, you know, it's, it is quite jarring to see. I think with Ronaldo, it is tough because of the the lack of options that we have outside of him. And also just with the fact that he, like I said, he is getting into these, these positions, but if he isn't scoring, like it is, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's shocked even me as someone who expected Ronaldo to come in and offer very little outside of scoring. It's shocked me just how bad his general play is. 
Yeah. You know, it. The, the, I mean, his dribbling is, is pretty much non-existent at this point. There were a few times when he got the ball in space against Watford and he, it, it, he basically can't dribble at this point in his career. Every time, pretty much every time he drops deep to pick up the ball, the only, the only thing he can then do with it to keep it is just to pop it back to whoever passes him first time. And, and that, that's fine, but that is literally the limit of his game at the moment. And so, you know, we're managing, I think, to play well, I guess, in spite of that. And he is still getting on the end of a lot of these chances, even if they aren't yeah. going in. But I think there does come a point where, like, you just need a striker that can offer a bit more because any time he gets the ball, things things break down. You know, it's in sort of our build-up chain, he is the weak link at the moment. And if he isn't putting the ball in the back of the net, then it's not even just that he doesn't offer much. He he sort of actively takes away from our build-up. Yeah, we're going to talk about how we approach the City game and with Cavani almost certainly out of that one as well. Um, we are going to talk about how Ronaldo could fit into that team and and do a good job. Um, but yeah, it's certainly something I'm, I'm sure Rannick's frustrated at it. Ronaldo's clearly frustrated at it. The whole team are. And as you, as you said much earlier, it's, it's an even more frustrating one because it's not clear what the obvious solution is to it. Very quickly before we'll do a, a youth loan and women's roundup and then move on to the city game. End of February, it's been a month with kind of a few different standout players to normal. Fernandez, perhaps with a few goals and, and some great, some good performances. But the, the kind of obvious standouts have been Alanga, Sancho and Varane. If you have to pick a, a player of the month for February, who I would I think I'd go with Sancho. I think he's just been the, the consistent standout. Varane and Alanga have been good in moments and have had some very good games. But I think just for the consistency that Sancho has shown throughout the last month or so, I think he has been sort of at the forefront of maybe not some great results, but some much better performances. And I think he's really starting to string together yeah. some of the, the the type of performances that we always wanted from him. So I think he'd be pretty clearly my my pick for the player of the month. I think there's a decent chance Elanga wins yeah. because of the the Atletico goal that's sort of sticking in everyone's mind. Though. Yeah, that clearly sways it. Sancho's two assists against Leeds and one goal against Middlesbrough are not really just reward for how good he's been in February it is that consistency and, and how just his impact on the team has been huge he's been man of the match in, in several games in February uh, and Varane I think we had this conversation if not last week then the week before about how much he was how, how obvious it was that he was missed when he's not playing um, and he has had a very good month and, and Alanga the story line for Alanga's February is brilliant start of the month missed the penalty to send United out of the FA Cup and he's, he's coped with that really well and and come out of February stronger than he went into it, which is incredible given uh, what happened at the start of the month. Very quickly, uh, youth loan and women's roundup, and then we're going to preview the City game and, and look at how City have been beaten this year by Tottenham, by uh, Chelsea last year in, in the Champions League final, and also by Palace and Leipzig and uh, a couple of others to see how Ralph Rennick might be able to triumph over Pep Guardiola at the Etihad. So at the academy, the under-18s are through to the FA Youth Cup semi-final. Alejandro Garnacho scored two to come from behind against Leicester City at Old Trafford last Thursday. United will now play Wolves on Wednesday, the 9th of February at 7pm at Old Trafford and fans are going to be encouraged to attend that one again. Garnacho quickly making himself the star of the competition. He scored against Everton. He scored, if, if my memory serves me right, he scored in every game so far. And this under-18s team hasn't kind of had a star at the moment, but Garnacho is picking up that tagline. Uh, already some great performances and, and a whole different variety of goals that are worth uh, going online and searching out and watching. He'll possibly be playing just after we record this as the under-19s 
take on Borussia Dortmund in the last 16 of the UEFA Youth League. Uh, an exciting game. The winner of that will play the winner of Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid. Uh, that game is tonight. If you want to find out the result, you'll know how to. Uh, it will also be covered by me on the United website. So you can go there for, for full coverage of it. The under-23s had a good 5-2 win against Derby at the weekend. Alvaro Fernandez starring in that. Two assists and the opening goal uh, in, in a very good second half performance from him. Neil Wood, the manager, wasn't too pleased with the first half, but a, a good win in the end for United. In low news, James Garner scored again for Nottingham Forest, helping them to a 2-0 win against Bristol City. He's having a great spell for Steve Cooper's team. Ethan Laird finally made his Bournemouth debut after injury, prevented him from doing so before. He made the switch from Swansea City to Bournemouth in January. Teeth Chong is back in action for Birmingham after a few months out. He picked up a, a torn thigh injury I think in uh, late October has been out since then and uh, there's been a few injuries recently for Loney's who who were doing well Dylan Levitt uh, Reese Devine Axel Twanzebe and Ted Edmengi all out with injury for a little bit United women suffered a 4-1 defeat to Manchester City in the FA Cup on Sunday the team were looking for revenge for a disappointing WSL defeat against City before the international break earlier in February but they didn't find it they had gone ahead through Katie Zellum but were thrashed in the second half and it's a, a very disappointed squad at the moment. They're out of the Conti Cup to Chelsea and out of the Women's FA Cup to City. Uh, all focus on the WSL now. They're in fourth. They need to get into the top three and the one to overtake will be Tottenham Hotspur who are two points ahead with the same number of games played and United have a better goal difference but they do need to find form again. It was a really difficult February for them. Okay Jack, let's move on to the City game. Uh, we've got a question from one of our patrons uh, Corey Lennox who says how would you like to see us set up against City he says he doesn't think five at the back is such a crazy idea I know we haven't seen it a lot recently but it seemed to work okay against City when Ole was around well it's a it's a good point first of all the the significance of this game because of our recent form we now need to find several memorable victories if we're going to finish in the top four and Perhaps one at the Etihad could be the first. We've got a great record there recently. A really, really good record there. Yeah, the Manchester derby seems to have, it, it seems to go through some like swings of patterns of results. There was a period sort of in the early to mid 2010s where it felt like City just had the wool over us. Now in the last few years, it seems like the away team just wins pretty yeah. much all the time. How, I mean, uh, how many times has Pep beaten us at the Etihad? It's not much, is it? Maybe twice. Well, I saw a great fact from uh, Jay Motti on Twitter. Uh, this week that Dan James has more Manchester Derby wins at the Etihad than Pep Guardiola. <laughs> no, nothing more needs to be said then. Yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> I've got to say out of, out of the, the, the big, big games that United play every season, which in my head are really sort of Liverpool, City, Chelsea, and then obviously Leeds in the last couple of seasons, of, of the ones against the sort of good teams, United City always seems to be the one that delivers the most when it comes to entertainment like the games against Liverpool in particular recently which haven't is, been very good I was just going to say which is funny because before Ole came and, uh, and certainly under Van Aal and Moyes they could be terrible games yeah there was a couple under Van Aal the 4-2 win that we had which was good I think they beat us 4-1 under either Van Aal or Moyes but there were a lot of nil-nils where Chris Smalling had good performances at the Etihad and we came away with a point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because because I think it was so easy, especially under Mourinho, to just sit back and that was it. Like there was no sort of urgency 
to, to put anything on to see. Whereas I think under Oli, you sort of changed the dynamic of those games that we were still happy to sit back, but it was so much more aggressive when we, when we did manage to win the ball back and it just, it made City have to think twice, I think, before sort of committing so many bodies forward. So they, they generally are good games. I think it's, I mean, this, not just the City game, the next sort of month or so is a big, I think, a big piece about redemption, to be quite honest, because these are a lot of the games in which United's, you know, we got humiliated, yeah. quite frankly, back in the, the first half well, of the season. We we didn't manage it against Watford, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> that's true. Possibly against City. But yeah, I mean, the one we really need it against is uh, probably Watford and Liverpool were the, the two big ones, but Liverpool, the, the big one. And I, I can't see us uh, reciprocating what they handed to us at Old Trafford <laughs> in, in October, to be honest. Yeah, let's look at how City have been beaten this season because they don't lose many games every year. We have been ones to beat them in the past. And I think under Ole, actually, teams often look to how we played City and beat City and try to kind of copy that. It was quite a, a an obvious strategy at times where we'd sit back and, and, and counter-attack. We'd try to have very little space between the defence and midfield and then you'd have fast players up front with a front three of James, Rashford and Martial and, and you'd play those long balls over the top for them to run onto and uh, try and, and beat City for pace, which often worked. Uh, a little different now, partly because of the United team, partly because of the manager and because City are, I'd say, better than they were a year ago. I think in terms of, I look at City now and think it's harder to beat them than it was last year and the year before, even though they've obviously had loads of success in that time anyway. Um, but should we look at the the most recent defeat for them first? The, the Spurs won, Conte's team beat them 3-2 at the Etihad on the 19th of February, not long ago. What did you make of that game? I wish we had Harry Kane, <laughs> very much. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I think... I think what Spurs have done really well against Man City is they've just stopped them from being able to play through midfield too easily. I thought, you know, Spurs don't have a particularly great mid- midfield, but I think because they played three at the back, they managed to just squeeze out, squeeze all the space because the defenders were able to push up. It's a, something that we've used before against City as well, playing three at the back, which means your centre-backs can be more aggressive in stepping out, shut down that space in midfield. Because to me, that's where City hurt you. They're they're a strange team to play against because the danger doesn't come from the most advanced player normally. Yeah. If you look back at most of the times that City have scored against us, well, they have a history of scoring set pieces against us, which is ironic considering <laughs> they aren't a set piece team at all. Yeah. But from goals from open play, so many of the success successes that they've had against us have come from runners from deep, from midfield. And that is, I think, where you have to play the game. I think what Spurs did really well was they stopped that from happening because they were able to shut down the space in front of them and then their fullbacks, their wingbacks were able to take care of the uh, the wide players because that that's the danger, right? When you when you push up with your centre-backs too high, especially if one of them is stepping out very often, then there's space left in behind for the wingers to run in. So you need to, you need to be able to have wingbacks that can handle those wingers one-on-one and then gives your centre-backs freedom to step out. And Wan-Bissaka and Shaw to a lesser extent, but especially Wan-Bissaka has proven that in the past with Sterling. Yeah, I, I was, yeah. Wan-Bissaka is an interesting one to talk about and we'll come on to maybe our specific kind of lineup in, in a, a couple of minutes. But yeah, what basically what you're saying is kind of you need to control that central area or not control it, but uh, squash that space in the middle that City can have to play in. Yeah. And I guess there's a couple of ways to do that. And I think to take another game, I, I also looked back at the, uh, the the Champions League final last year, Tuchel against Guardiola in Lisbon. And to take, first of all, Spurs, as you say, kind of squeeze that space, 
by playing five at the back. They had an extra person in defence. Emerson Royal kind of didn't have a, a specific person to mark. And actually that part of it didn't work incredibly well. Uh, but what they did do is is have loads of players in that area outside the box, forcing City to go wide and to cross, which is kind of obvious because Bernardo is the tallest member of their front three and he's uh, he's five foot eight inches. Um, they, they weren't kind of a great crossing team even when they had Sergio Aguero in the side and now they don't, they're, they're even worse. They had 34 crosses against Spurs and only seven found a target in the box. Um, so, so that's clearly a, a key tactic. Interestingly, Spurs didn't try and have that small gap between defence and midfield. They let City have players in there, but instead Harry Kane dropped deep, sat on Rodri, uh, the defensive midfielder, and then one of their two central midfielders, uh, Benton Kerr and Hoiberg, would push up onto the centre-backs. So this is where there's the two options. Spurs pushed up onto City centre-backs to stop them playing the ball into midfield. Chelsea, on the other hand, um, had three strikers. They played a 3-4-3 and their three strikers kind of blocked the passing lanes into the midfielders. So the two options are either you put the centre-backs under pressure or you mark the midfielders. You obviously can't do both. So United have a, a couple of options there. I don't think there's anything... Have we ever seen a team try something different and succeed against City in that sense by trying to stop the ball, get to their midfielders? I don't think so, to be honest. I think trying to put pressure on on City high up the pitch is just such a risk because they are so good on the ball. Even, even all the way back to Edison, it feels like they are so good at drawing teams onto them. And if you do that and get beaten on the press, then if they have space to operate in, they'll absolutely kill you. So I don't think that is, I don't think that's a tactic worth really pursuing against City simply because I, I think the, against most teams, I think pressing high up the pitch is kind of worth it in the risk, risk reward scenario. And you'd back yourself to recover even if they do beat the press before sort of any sort of major chance can develop. But I think City just moved the ball yeah. so well if you do get beaten with that initial press and you get four or five players taken out of the game, it can be so, so devastating. So I, think I think that's what was... Something like what Spurs did yeah. with Kane. I was just going to say, I think that's what was interesting about Spurs in that they didn't make Kane the kind of front-running player. It was one of the two centre-mids and then the other would stay deep, which kind of gives you more flexibility in terms of both yeah. sides and also a kind of a bit of... Uh, solidity by having knowing that Kane's always going to be there and one centre midfielder is always going to be there with one running forward a bit more solid and a bit less risk of of doing what you're saying which is playing for us which is what they, they they've done at Old Trafford a lot in the past yeah it also helps having Kane that little bit deeper on Rodri also helped when it came to turning the ball over as well because we've I remember there's been games against Man City when we have been trying to play this style under Solskjaer when you know we'll sit back and then try and be really aggressive on the counter attack. The, sometimes the issue when you have say two or three players that are quite high up the pitch waiting for the ball to be turned over and then for the out ball is that it it, it can just be so difficult to get them the ball because you have so little space when you yeah. win it in such a congested area that often it is just sort of a clearance that you've then got to go and win. And if Rodri is there left in all, all, all kinds of space and it takes sort of a thirty yard pass to bypass him and get it to the forwards it can then be really hard to ever win the ball back and sustain it. So I think the other thing that was yeah. good about Kane being that little bit deeper was it meant that the ball stuck a little bit more. It meant that Rodri didn't have so much time to sort of recycle everything because Kane was always there, even if he didn't win it, putting him under pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of attack, it helped massively as well. Kane was barely in the box 
in that game. He sat deeper, let people run off him. Um, Kulisevsky and, and Son were kind of played in front of Kane, basically. And they had great pace. But also I think what was impressive about them was how quickly they could tell when Spurs won the ball. Because if you can, if you can get an advantage in, in your head, knowing that your team's about to win the ball and, and start your run already, then you've got what it takes to beat a really quick defender like Kyle Walker. And if you don't and you can't beat him for pace, which very few people can, then you're not going to succeed. But Son did have that when as soon as Spurs won possession and even before he was already off. So he had a head start on Walker. Yeah. And that's something that an informed Rashford definitely could do. Yeah. He's obviously not in form. Um, and, and maybe that's a kind of chance to take on on our, our lineup. How, I mean, for, maybe we should decide what we think our approach should be. Should we go for the kind of really narrow 3-4-3 that Chelsea did and Tuchel did and kind of make City play really narrow, force them out wide? And, and that's kind of what Mourinho used to do at, at Inter as well. It was, oh, we don't care if you have the ball on the wings because you're just going to cross it and we'll beat you in the air anyway. So have it, but you can never have it in the middle. Or do we go for what Spurs did, which is still kind of let them have the ball on the wing, but have that kind of deeper, deeper forwards, slightly more of a kind of hybrid formation than the, the kind of more solid three four three. I, I, I think based on what United have at their disposal, I think I prefer the Spurs sort of method. I think the difficulty with playing like that is that the player that probably would be doing that sort of cane role would be Ronaldo for us, who. I don't think is particularly well suited for it. Yeah. This would be a huge call and I'm not sure if I would have the balls to make it, to be honest, but I quite like the idea of playing Fernandez in that role and having him on Rodri yeah. for a couple of reasons. Yeah. One, because Fernandez defensively isn't very good at staying in structure. So I wouldn't really want him to play much deeper than that anyway. That's true. Yeah. Second, if when we do get the ball, he is the kind of player that you'd want in that cane role who can move the ball quickly and play really, really aggressive passes into those wide players. And also, he, he's just better suited to, to doing that role than, than Ronaldo is. I think we've had good success with Fred and McTominay in midfield before. I don't know if McTominay is going to be back from, from illness for the City game. He should be since he had over a week. Yeah. Or will, will have had a week since the Watford game. But I think if he's fit, Fred and McTominay go in midfield for me. And then... It's if we so if we if we're doing this sort of in, in my head, if you were to play Fernandez in that sort of Kane role, you'd then have three centre backs, let's say Varane, Maguire, Lindelof, say Wan Bissaka right wing back, Shaw at left wing back. Then it sort of becomes who do you play as the other midfielder alongside Fred and McTominay? And then who do you play as the other attacker alongside Fernandez? Well, are you, are you playing so are you going with two midfielders rather than two people playing off Fernandez, which could be, for example, Santa and Rashford? See that that's where I'm torn because I'd like to have the extra body in midfield because that is where all of City's danger is. But then just having Fernandez and only one attacker is is risky. I'm tempted. I'd be tempted it's, to I, go with... I don't think you can create enough with that. Yeah, I, I, I'd be tempted to play Lingard in midfield alongside Fred and McTominay. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, I think because you can play... So yeah, I think you're right. Ronaldo can't do that Kane role because so, what was so good about Kane was not just the the passing, which was kind of Kane at his very best every he could just do every type of pass and perfect weight and could spot the vision was great as well um, but it was also that close control where Spurs didn't kind of kick it like hoof it up to him and rely that he'd get it with his head it was you play it into him and you know that whatever position he's in he's going to control the ball 
um, which was actually Roy Keane was to take a slight detour. Roy Keane was saying this on on the overlap the other day that what he loved about Cantona was some strikers ask for the ball but they don't really want it but Cantona would always take the ball and always keep it and Kane's a bit like that in that you can kind of trust him to to have the the right first touch and I'm not sure Ronaldo's got that at the moment yeah but yeah so and you Kane's play so Fernandez good fouls as well which really helps break yeah. up the game yeah but yeah so Lingard could be that kind of disciplined forward defender but also quick enough and good enough to run off the line in a way that I don't think you can isolate either Rashford or Sancho ahead of Fernandez. I think they just would be, would be too isolated. But the other problem is it, it does rely on really good wing backs and Wambasaka can do the defensive work. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen that against Sterling time and time again, but in attack, not really. Shaw's not on his best form. So can he do that as well? Could you play Sancho in a kind of weird winger come wing back role? where he drops back to help out when we don't have the ball and the formation changes and he goes forward when we do have it. Yeah, it's something that, that's that been brought up a lot. To be, to be honest, when I saw the lineup for the Atletico game, I thought that Sancho might be a wing-back before I realised Lindelof was playing right-back. It feels very tempting as a way to squeeze another attack, attacking player in without compromising the shape of the team. Yeah. You know, it feels really, really tempting. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would want to do it without some sort of insurance policy built into the team that you could change it without needing to make a sub if it if it started badly. Because yeah. as much as I think City's main danger doesn't come from out wide, I, I still think that if you let them have too much joy down there, even if it doesn't come from crosses, if they're just able to stretch us that much defensively, then it can still really, really come back to haunt you. And... I just don't know if I how confident I would be doing that. And when I mean an insurance policy, if there's, I don't know exactly how you would try to do it, but maybe if you could play, say, a midfield that included McTominay and then a back three of Shaw, Maguire, Varane with Wambasaka at right wing back, then maybe you could switch it at some point, put McTominay in at yeah. centre-back as he's played for Scotland a few times and then move Shaw to left wing back so that you could change it without making a sub. I just think... I think relying on Sancho as a wing back with no with no sort of insurance policy built into the eleven is a huge risk. But I don't. Yeah, I said it is. It's so tempting to do it to just get an extra attacking player yeah. on the pitch. But what we don't want to do, and what we probably are doing, is the typical Pep Guardiola overthink. Well, yeah. The key is the key is the approach, isn't it? Rather than the personnel, it's you want those long balls into the channel on the wing, which was very so, which kind of archetype Oligon and Solskjaer United um, cross like kind of cross field uh, long balls to Rashford or it, or it was to Greenwood or to Martial and Dan James as well but for that you need a, a, you need the hair to be really quick with his distribution and for that run to always be made even if you don't get the ball and we haven't been good enough for that recently yeah which is why I mean, Dan uh, James is always so good at the Etihad yeah get him back um, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean the truth is Whatever approach we go for, it's going to need everyone to be really on their game. Yeah. We haven't had a game where I think everyone's been on it. At Leeds, to be fair, everyone was on it, but that was very different. And that kind of that was kind of being on it in a different way, not necessarily quality, but really being well up for it. Yeah. Um, but I think what we've kind of shown, even though I, we haven't got kind of a, a cemented conclusion to how we should beat City, have we? But there is clearly lots of ways you can go about it. So yeah. a little more confidence. And, and listen, I think given given that we should obviously be approaching this un, non-confident. I, I think beating City, to be honest, at this point, beating a team as good as City is half 
set up half planning, but the, the other the other half is just luck. Yeah, you know, and, and that is that is completely true. In all of the all, all of the games that we've played at the Etihad that we've won, we have played really really well, and and you know maybe on balance deserve to win, but it's also relied on City having a lot of the ball and missing a few chances, De Gea making a few saves. You know, it, it always comes down to that when you're playing against a team and you're willing to let them have the ball as much as I'm sure we'll let City have the yeah. ball. There is a lot of luck that's going to come into it because it's basically saying, here, have the ball for 70% of the game and we're just going to trust that with our 30% of it, we can create a couple of chances that are going to be better than the 10 that you might create. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in a semi-confident, probably <laughs> semi uh so what, what would you do then to, to try and get to a cemented answer? What would your, how would you approach the game? What would your lineup be? Uh, if I had the balls to do it, I'd drop Ronaldo, play Fernandez. Not, it's not false nine, but like a centre forward, the, the Kane role. Um, there's, you don't need to give it a label anyway. We've explained what it is. Play Fernandez in that role. I'd probably play Rashford and Sancho off him. Uh, the only problem is that's not Sancho's perfect role. So again, it would be another brave call given Rashford's not in form, but you could go Rashford and Lingard yeah, to get that kind of player who can do a dual role in midfield. Any thought of, of Ilanga? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I'd go with Rashford despite his poor form. Um, yeah. In defence, definitely Wambasaka over Dalo, I think, even though that it's just a better game for Wambasaka. And he's been doing okay recently, actually. Uh, he was great at Leeds. And then Shaw at left wing back, the the three centre-backs, there's a bit of me that'd be tempted to go Sancho right wing back, kind of in a, another dual role where he's a right winger slash right wing back. Um, and then do uh, Varane Maguire and uh, Wan-Bissaka as the centre-backs. The other thing is Lindelof is a great passer of the ball out. He can be a great person to play that out ball to the forwards. So you probably do want him in the team. Yeah. And perhaps you want Lindelof and Maguire and Novaran in this one, if you're going to go with Wan-Bissaka at right centre-back or Shaw at left centre-back. So I'll give you a team and I'm going to change my mind because such is the butterflies before a derby. But De Gea, <laughs> Sancho in that weird role. Wambasaka, Maguire, uh, Lindelof, Maguire, Shaw, midfield of Fred and McTominay, Fernandez in front, and uh, that's five, three, two, Lingard and Rashford. I could be talking complete bollocks, <laughs> but we've been speaking about it for twenty-one minutes, and I feel like I've I've got into my own head. I can see why Pep Guardiola um, really overthinks all these big games now. We've spent <laughs> twenty minutes; he probably spends like five days. Uh huh. Yeah, you get into a bubble, don't you? Um, yeah. Yeah. But in terms of approach rather than lineup, it's long balls over the top, win the ball back regularly without giving away fouls, and yeah, have that have that deep deep striker. Yeah, I think I think the deep striker is important. I think it's important for us in defence and in attack. I think I would probably go for similar with a couple of differences. So I I go De Gea in goal. I would stick with Wambasaka right wing back. I think he's he's done so well against uh, Sterling in particular in the past I, I just think I don't, I don't want to sort of mess that up because he's if you can get a fullback that can take a player out yeah, of the game yeah. and against a team like Man City I want to keep him there and just the three centre-backs Maguire, Lindelof, Varane Shaw at left wing back so that's now a bit too on. so I think Fred and McTominay are, are 100% for me I think this is the perfect type of game for them they've both played well against Man City in the past I actually think Matic has done really well when he's played in the last couple of games, but this isn't the type of game that, that suits him. I have Fernandez in that sort of 
deeper attacker role, sort of that centre forward. Then I'm a bit torn. I, so I'm, I'm torn because I, I want Sancho in the team <clears throat> because he's so good at keeping the ball in tight spaces. And that's going to be really, really important against Man City. For us to have any hope in this game, we need to be able to keep the ball when we win it back. So it's not just, you know, wave after wave after wave of City attacking us. But he's also not the best at making those runs into the channels. Like you said, he's, he wants the ball to feet and the kind of accurate passes to feet is probably not something we're going to have that many opportunities to, to do against Man City. So I'm tempted to instead go Lingard and Rashford yeah. as my two forwards. <laughs> Primarily because if if we need to change, Lingard can come into central midfield and push Fernandes a bit higher up the pitch if we need to, if we want an extra body in yeah. midfield. So that that would, I think, be, be my team. Putting Sancho in there at wing-back is so tempting to get someone who can play in those tight areas further back, but I don't, I don't think I can... I don't think I can go into a game in City <laughs> with Sancho as a as a player whose primary role is going to be defensive. No, but that, I think that's that's kind of the point. Is he he isn't? It's kind of a a back four that San. It's more of a back four that Sancho drops onto to help out rather than a back five where Sancho is the right wing back in in effect. Um, but it is it is tricky. And the one player we haven't mentioned at all is Paul Pogba, who could obviously do magic things in the way that Harry Kane does in those long balls. But you'd have to change. We'd have to have a whole different system. I think. I don't think he'd fit one of the centre midfield roles. Actually, I tell you what. How, how do you think Pogba could play the role that we've we're saying Fernandez should play in, and then Fernandez could be one of the forwards? Possibly, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. It, it's possible, but we've run out of time, so we should wrap up. Um, <laughs> I hope that's all food for good thought. Good luck to Ralph. Basically, yeah, is what good luck, Ralph. That, <laughs> yeah, um, it could be could be a good win. I'm expecting not, but we just need to take our chances and we know we don't do that. So thank you very much for listening, everyone. Um, patrons, thank you for your support. We'll head into a bonus Q&A with you in a second. We're going to talk about the team's mental state and about Antonio Conte. Uh, everyone else, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for uh, your support. As always, if you want more from us throughout the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at... At U-T-D-T-A-I-T. And you can find me on Twitter at HarryRobinson64 on the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Have a great week. Goodbye. Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.